they know yeah. the relationships that they're building in these environments are not real friendships yeah. or real relationships. There's no intimacy when you're with somebody that all you're doing is getting f***ed yeah. up together. Yeah. You need, yeah. You're not, not getting to know that person and on a deep level. And also if you have to do that, there's like something you're running from. Right. You're, you're running from facing the reality of a really intimate, real conversation. Right. San Diego. Mm, okay. So let's go back to the beginning. I just want to know more about you and like your whole childhood. And this podcast is always about mental health. It just ends up being about that, even though it's mm-hmm. it's technically a comedy podcast. But I feel like everyone has a story. And that's like what makes people funny or creative or good at their job. It's like the people that have gone through the most. And you and I haven't gotten too deep into all the things that you've been through, but we've touched the surface on walks and things like that. Mm-hmm. So bring me back to childhood and just that version of you. I mean, man, where do, where do I start? What are you mm. looking for here? Is, how about <laughs> as early back as you can remember? I think like vivid memories come when things mean a lot to us or when they're traumatic. Like what's mm. what kicks us off in your journey of becoming Austin present day? Um, I don't really recall or remember much. I feel like before probably the age of eight or nine, I don't really remember Wait, like really? toddler Austin. Very you don't much. remember anything? No. If I try to think of, um, what? like anything before third grade, I don't really have any memories of kindergarten or preschool. I remember loving my second grade teacher, Mrs. Charters, but can't remember any like of the friendships I had at that age or yeah. So what, what is, what is second grade? Would that be? That would like be seven, seven or yeah. eight. So right around there, right around there going forward. What do you attribute that to though? Do you think you blocked things out or do you think that's just nothing really happened? I don't know. That's what I'm trying to figure out. I've been on this super deep like journey the last three, four years trying to figure out who the hell I am and yeah. my traumas and and nothing's ever like populated of something I've suppressed. Um, and I've done, I mean, I've tried every type and version of therapy you can think of. Hypnotherapy to, um, you know, psychedelics, traditional talk therapy, meditations, breath works, all of it. Nothing's ever like, oh shit, I, remember. I forgot that. Or yeah. So, but do you remember? So I don't think there was any traumatic event that right. was blocking But do out. you remember just normal memories of like being a child? <laughs> Like the youngest memory I have, um, I had to be maybe three to four range, and it was on Easter, and I just remember hunting for Easter eggs in Wait, our old house that's growing so up. Cute. And that's but it. That's it. Yeah, I don't remember any what? crazy Christmas mornings. Um, what do you? What was growing up like for you? Are your were your parents together? Like, did you grow up in a typical kind of? Yeah, typical household? house from what I imagine it to be, right? We're, you know, lower middle class, um, but food on the table every night, never struggled there, got to do the new clothes shopping twice a year, you know, before school and maybe Christmas time or something like that. (laughs) Um, You know, I got a new pair of cleats once a year for sport. Like the the essentials were always provided. They made sure, 
And growing up, looking back at it, I'm sure they struggled much, much more than maybe they they let let on. on. Mm -hmm. Um, Just being an adult now, I think I'm two or three years older than my dad was when he had me. You know, and I can't imagine. Yeah, like I can't imagine three, four years ago having a kid. Like, holy shit, I I was not ready. And they were propelled into it, and I already had two older brothers. Like my my dad was coming into. Um, dating my mom when she already had two kids with another man. Like, I can't imagine being in that situation. Holy and I've smokes. done pretty well for myself <laughs> right. at 30, right? Isn't that he was, just, yeah, like he was just Times getting life are started. So, different. Yeah. Yeah. so I can't imagine, but they always made it, they always did a great job of us never feeling the stress. At least right. I don't have any memories of that, right? I guess this is the whole thing is what do, what do I remember? <laughs> um, but they were together until I was 12, and then they got divorced second semester of my eighth grade year okay was that hard oh yeah yeah Yeah. fuck me up what was your initial thought when they told you was it confusion of like do they love each other do they not like do you remember what your initial thoughts were i don't remember thinking any of that i just remember i i was a very rage-filled killed kid from that day moving forward Mm -hmm. um the way it happened is i think what caused a lot of my relationship issues with my parents up until the last few years when I've been able to heal those. Yeah. I mean, I just held contempt, anger, and resentment over their head for yeah. you know, almost 20 years. Wow. Because the way it happened uh, is it was the first day of spring break and my dad comes in the living room with me, one of my older brothers, not my oldest, and my sister. And basically just drops it on the spot. Never saw it coming. Like, hey, I'm leaving your mom. Apparently, he talked to us for an hour, the way my brother Travis tells the story. But I don't have any memory of anything that happened after I heard that. Um, And then yet, to make it more traumatic, funny story, after we found out he was leaving, he packed his shit and he was out of the house. Called my mom at work that day and told her. So From he what I remember. didn't tell your mom. He told you guys first. Mm-hmm. Told us first and then told my mom while she was at work. Did he give you a reason work. why? I don't remember it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So again, apparently he talked to us pretty extensively. Right, right. I kind of just emotional wreck. Right. 12-year-old kid. My dad was my best friend. I went to work with him every weekend growing up. Um, and then here he is walking out, you know. Damn. And then I remember being in my room crying and like a couple hours after that, I called this chick Nina, this chick, eighth grade, whatever. <laughs> I called this girl Nina, uh, who I'd liked, who I had a huge crush on. And I, I told her, I'm like, my parents, you know, my dad just told me he was leaving my mom. And her response is something like, I'm so sorry, Devin. She thought I was the guy she liked. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh shit. No. I just double up so the trauma like, yeah, of the, mo- of the moment. Yeah. You were looking for something yeah. and it just. The one person to go to lean on. Big, oh, so I'm no. like, oh shit, this isn't Devin. What are you talking about? Oh no. Um, so that's all I remember of the day, that day is that phone call and then my dad just telling us and then walking out. And I remember, you know, for 20 years after that, I hated my dad for leaving, but I blamed my mom for him leaving. Oh, wow. So I had so much contempt and anger yeah. towards both of them. You resented your mom. Um, which, you know, that snowballs into a lot of other issues, uh, intimacy issues right. growing up, distrust, vulnerable, uh, vulnerability issues growing up, very yeah. big 
I wouldn't say I had a lot of distrust issues, actually. Um, maybe I, I always felt like I was very trusting of others, but it would always be, I would never let them pass a certain barrier. Like, I couldn't Did be fully vulnerable. I guess that would be sort of trust. You? If I can't be vulnerable with somebody, I guess yeah. trust does come into that more well, than and, I thought. And yeah. do you, did you expect the worst in terms of an outcome with someone? Like Always. Of, yeah. Always. Because yeah. I look at distrust as that kind of too. Yeah. Like just, like no matter what they can do or say, you're like, well, it's still going to end this way. So. Right. You know. And it's, yeah, you have the obvious abandonment issues mm -hmm. that come with 99% mm -hmm. of people who go through a divorce. Yeah. Um, like literally over half the population has yeah. divorced parents. 52% so like, as of a couple yeah. years ago, you know? So the obvious abandonment issues where anyone I'd be with in my mindset, it was already destined to fail. Right. Exactly. Um, and then just the intimacy piece of it too. I can't have, I don't have any strong memories of, seeing my parents ever be affectionate or playful mm. right they were just married and parents mm. it never yeah. i don't again maybe my mom or dad would tell it different but i don't have any memories right. of seeing them be what i imagine yeah, a intimacy. real relationship yeah. should be so i never had that you know picture painted for mm -hmm. me so from seeing what i would now consider a a dysfunctional intimate relationship right. that led to a divorce. I have this bad image of what a relationship is. And then I have this impending doom mindset that it doesn't matter what I do. It's always going to fail anyway. Yeah. That's kind of what I was getting at. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, I mean that definitely fucked me up for quite a few years. That was the biggest catalyst in my life. Maybe why I don't remember a lot of the sure. earlier stuff before that period. I think a lot of the people I know who have divorced parents like that are close to me they are almost like anti-marriage now because I think they saw what it does and that it doesn't work quote-unquote even though it's like one sample mm -hmm. um I think when you see something especially with two people so close to you and it doesn't work you're so impressionable at a young age mm -hmm. and it's like okay in my head going forward why would I do something that results in pain and discomfort like that and in trauma do you feel like that still affects you now when you think about marriage? Or I've always been pro-marriage, even mm -hmm. after this. Like, in my mind, yeah. like, yeah, I'll get married one day. Yeah. Uh, I just didn't know how to get to that point to yeah. where I was, you know, open enough yeah. to be able to even allow myself yeah. to look to at opportunities to, to get there. Yeah. yeah. So I've never been anti-marriage in a way. Yeah. Um, maybe that has to do with my religious upbringing. You know, we did church once to twice a week. I do youth camps a couple times a year for a chunk of my life. And marriage is big in those institutions, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. So maybe that's why I never deterred away from that thought process, mm -hmm. even with the divorce. But um, I could also say I have never really had a healthy relationship, you yeah. know? So it definitely bled into the ability <laughs> yeah. to have anything that would even be recognizable as something that would lead to marriage. Right. It's funny, though. I'm hard-pressed to find an example of even one person that has had a healthy relationship. And, and I mean that because you think at the time, maybe it is, but then the more access we have to like all these social media accounts, all these therapy accounts, all these therapists and all these podcasts and things, we learn what isn't healthy and what is. And then when I look around, I'm like, I don't know if I can name one person that's had a healthy relationship, which is scary. 
Yeah, I mean, and I'm, I'm talking about younger people, like okay. in their twenties. I was gonna say, yeah, like cause... I'm not, I'm, I'm more so referring to like my friends or like um, in college, like I, I never saw what I would consider a healthy relationship around me, which is crazy, but it makes. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, if I look at the healthiest relate, like if I would want to mirror something, I most definitely have, you know, four or five couples in my life that I look up to like, oh, you know, couple goals, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. That, there. that is That is what it's supposed to be. Yeah. That is how you're supposed to love someone. Yeah. And But don't you find that's more the exception than the norm? Absolutely. Isn't I could name tenfold yeah, more people exactly. that are close to me that are in relationships that I would feel miserable being in. Right, right. It saddens me. It me breaks too. my heart almost that yeah. I see, even if they're great people on their own, yeah, they're together, just not meant to be together. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, I have a lot of people in my life like that where, you know, and you can, people got to figure shit out for themselves. Yeah. So it's you not like I can ever bang change. on the door like, hey man, you got to get out. I know you're, but I look at it and I'm like, that's not happiness. That's not freedom. Yeah. That's not what it's supposed to look like. No. Like the fact that, 30% of our conversations are the shit you have to deal with in your life. I shouldn't have to hear any of yeah, that. I should hear about so the exciting true. things so that a relationship true. is bringing to yeah, your life. Yeah. But I don't. And yeah. it's heartbreaking. And that's what's propelled me to, I mean, I haven't had a, a what quote unquote real relationship in a few years now. Yeah, me too. Because I was like, I got to figure my shit out first. Yeah, same. Or else I'm going to end up like all these people. Yeah, exactly. So I went off the deep end and I'm like, okay, I got to figure out who am I? Why do I have so much stress? Why do I have so much anxiety? Yeah. I'm a prototypical type A. My favorite college course is public speaking. Like I love being in front Ew. of people. I love talking. <laughs> what the I don't, hell? I don't I mind being I have a podcast and I don't even like public speaking. Yeah, it was, I love that class. You know, I don't mind being the center of attention, yet I had social anxiety up until like two years ago. So how do those That's interesting. things... Yeah. What, how do you define social anxiety though? Um, if one of my best friends asked me to go to lunch, I'd get anxiety about it because I didn't know what to talk about. What if I say the wrong thing? Okay. So but, somebody I've known 20 years, mm. I'm having anxiety about sitting in a one-on-one situation with nobody else there because how is this going to turn out for yeah. me? Am I going to be exposed? What yeah. if I say the wrong thing? What am I going to talk about? What if there's yeah. an awkward silence? Now I'm like, okay, I could sit in a room silent with 30 people and probably be the only one sitting there, like not with the re- brain <laughs> yeah, racking. Yeah, like, what yeah. do I need to say? Like, silence is okay. That's it's interesting. Part of life. I, from what you just said, I picked up on maybe you, what you liked about public speaking was that it was a controlled environment where you could prepare your speech and like have exactly what you wanted to say in the layout and everything. Whereas like a lunch, you can't predict. It's it's like uncontrollable. It's not. In that entire class, I didn't write out one speech. Interesting. I'd so do, I wonder what about it? I'd learn about a subject. So okay. whatever I was doing, I'd just do a deep dive. I'm a pretty obsessive reader once right. I get hooked on a topic. So in this environment, maybe not hooked on a topic, but forcefully. Forcefully hooked yeah, on a topic. Yeah, right? <laughs> I just do a deep dive and I read yeah. as much as I can about that subject matter. And I have a weird knack for like remembering numbers or facts. And I just write note cards of bullet points and yeah. I kind of spitball the five minute that I needed to do. Like even for the very last, uh, I didn't do homework very well in college. I went to ASU, so big party school. (laughs) I didn't um, do homework in college. So even being my favorite class, going into the final, I had like an 86 or something. Uh 
and I needed 100% on the final to get a 91 in the class to bump up to the to A. I need like a 96 plus on the final yeah. to get a, at least an A. And um, even for the final, I didn't do the speech the way it was supposed to be done. I, you had like five topics, deliver your speech. I didn't start writing it until the night before. And I wrote a poem about, and I, in the poem, I used every single person in the class was inclusive in the poem. And um, every everyone had two to four lines, and then it was about a speech they gave. So something that triggered a memory about that student in the class. And I wrote this like 150 line poem, inclusive of everybody. I was like, yeah, fuck it, man. If I gotta get a hundred on this, yeah, yeah. not gonna fail the class. Yeah, exactly. So let's figure it out. And then I ended up giving a poem, included everybody, even the teacher, got some oh laughs out of it, and the teacher was like. That's not even what the assignment was, you know. Yeah. Let's take it to a class vote then. What do you guys think you should get for a grade? And ev- because I included everybody, everyone raised their hand, got a hundred, and got an A in class. So it was, I didn't. It wasn't about the structure yeah, that I liked. Yeah. It was the I could use my personality. I can go up but there and just talk. But what's different about can, that than getting lunch with someone? You can use your personality and you can talk, and it can be spontaneous and random and sporadic. Um, I don't know. I can't answer that question with. Uh, an honest answer yeah. that wouldn't be just bullshitting you to get something out right now. But yeah. something I've always said is I'm more comfortable in a room full of 500 people than I am in a one-on-one situation. Me too. Like throw me on stage, tell me to give a speech. Me too. That's so um, interesting. Yeah. I've, I've been in front of large crowds for numerous things throughout my entire life. And in that spotlight moment where it's less personable. I was going to say it's intimacy. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, goes mm-hmm. right back to hey, look at that. There we go. <laughs> um, so yeah, maybe that's what less percent. intimate situations yep. I would th- thrive in. Yeah, right? me too. I'd flourish. I'd feel right. so comfortable. Right. Um, but even yeah. with again now now luckily over the last couple of years I've gone through some pretty cool experiences yeah. that have just melted away this anxiety I used to feel. That's crazy. I always tell people, they're always like, sing for me. And I'm like, I would rather sing in front of a thousand people than sing in front of you right now. And no one gets it. Everyone's mm. like, that doesn't make any sense. I'm like, no, it does. Because a thousand people, I can't like actually feel staring at me that deeply. Whereas like one person, I feel like they're staring into my soul. Like it's too, yeah. it's too intimate. But I want to talk about, you mentioned these experiences and I'm a big proponent of finding root cause and, and kind of treating it that way holistically. Obviously there's limitations to that for some people, but... What are some things that you experienced? It could be anxiety. Like you mentioned social anxiety. Mm -hmm. Maybe go into more of that, what you felt like on a daily basis, other kinds of things you went through. What initiated this idea to try these new kinds of therapies? Uh, I just got to the point in life where I felt like there was more. Um, I was meant for more. I was meant to feel better. I was meant to feel more meaning. Um... You know, I spent the better part of, I think the first time I got drunk was 14 years old. First time I smoked weed was 15. First time I did cocaine was 16. Wow. You know, so from a very young age, again, I liked being that center of attention. In yeah. high school yearbook, I was voted life of the party. Like That's I was always, so interesting because knowing you now, I'm, yeah. like I, I, it's so interesting. Yeah, I was always like the, you know, kid who could drink the most. I was never sloppy. Yeah. My body, maybe it's my dad's hereditary, you know, or genes or something yeah. that I can hit, hold my alcohol. <laughs> but I was always the kid who, you know. Partier. 
I'm down to shotgun a beer. Let's yeah. take more shots. Let's stay up till 5 a.m. Let's try this drug. Okay. Um, started that from high school all the way up until probably three, four years ago. I started mm. changing my relationship with those environments and realizing that, oh, if you do drugs every weekend or every other weekend, that is a form of addiction or abuse. I don't need to do it daily. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And Isn't that funny never... how people don't realize that? Well, yeah. And the big thing about addiction, too, is... Um, obviously we're always trying to convince ourselves we're not addicted, right. but in, in this, this conversation goes on a lot, which I know you you love this kind of stuff, but it comes down to how the chemicals work in your body. Yeah. Dopamine. Dopamine. Oxy, um, or, uh, epinephrine, epinephrine yeah. and serotonin yeah. and, um, the uh, oxytocin, oxytocin. There yeah. you go. A- everything is about a chemical reaction, it is, right? Yeah. And addiction is a chemical reaction Mm -hmm. so when you do coke on the weekend and your dopamine spikes to the roof you might not be doing that monday tuesday but if you're addicted to pornography and you're watching porn during the week your dopamine spiking exactly and then you're spending six hours a day on social media yep thursday you know wednesday thursday friday your dopamine spike exactly you're perpetuating addiction through a chemical response even though it's not the substance right so we we are in a society that convinces ourselves that we are less addicted than we are Mm -hmm. when your body doesn't know any different. Your body is in this hyper addictive state through a chemical basis. Yeah. So that's what I was living for so Like you can have the weekend, the cocaine is the dopamine and then Instagram is the dopamine Monday Mm -hmm. through Friday. And we think, oh, I'm not addicted to cocaine, but it's like, well, you still have an addiction issue. Yeah, yeah to something. Every yeah. day you're triggering right. that same addictive yeah, patterning. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just, I started partying at such a young age and that kind of became my identity for a long time. Um, it also perpetuated my fear of intimacy because most of my sexual relationships became one night stands or around a party environment where you're not really getting to know anyone yeah right a lot of these kids they party with for five six seven years without one best friends i don't know shit about them Crazy. And i also have some best friends who yeah. are the dearest people in the world to me that have come out of that environment because we've grown together right through it. and you went through hell probably together. but looking back people i'd consider my best friends i'm like i don't do shit but drink with you twice two Drinking three times friends. a week yeah. you know yeah um so i was just living this life for 10 years, 11, 12 years that every morning I woke up after doing it, I felt empty. It was never fulfilling. I'd get home from these escapades feeling lonelier than I had before I went out. Yeah. I couldn't sleep. I'd wake up with this just unshaken, I'm going to use the word anxiety again, just this like waking up that feeling that something isn't right my life isn't fitting into place yeah Yeah. when alcohol depresses your system it's it's gonna work harder to try to bring it to homeostasis Mm -hmm. so then you wake up and you're like oh my god everything seems like out of control and just yeah you wake up feeling worse yeah yeah so doing that for 10 12 years and realizing that it never was fulfilling yeah never was never was that obviously this isn't it so that's what started me on this whole path of all right, I'm down to try anything and everything. Yeah. Um, I'm going to keep an open mind. I'm going to read books that I once probably thought were quacky. I'm going to detach myself from a religious relationship with 
the universe, God, spirituality, and just even opened my mind on that to a more spiritual approach. I started researching Buddhism and Judaism and read parts of the Quran and... You know, I just opened my mind to... But there had to be... Do you remember like a day or a situation or a night or an event that like really made you want to change? Like I feel like... No, I think it's compounding. Or was it really just like... I think most people that were like, this is the day I woke up and decided to make the change. I think 99% of people that say that are bullshit. I agree. But was there like an event that was so adverse to you that you felt like more propelled you know what i mean after years and years and years or was it like a really slow trickle of like you read maybe one book and then you read maybe two more books on something else and then you know what i'm saying was it a gradual change or was it a little bit more abrupt uh the mindset that got me there i think was gradual um because it was always in and out it always ebbed okay. and flowed like so okay thought i'm gonna start yeah. yeah and i'd try to start getting off that path and i'd yeah. get better and then i get back on and then i get off and right. i get back on and same with the healing process it's like you get better and then you get worse i think everything is this ebb and flow and this gradual change um i am not a big believer in like you know all of a sudden i woke up and it, i think yeah, that's I don't, bullshit. I don't like john maxwell i used to like the guy really a lot. one change, of my favorite authors yeah, he used yeah. to be one of my favorite authors and then i he was doing he launched a new book and he was on this podcast you know route promoting his book and he started telling the story about how he started writing the leadership books and business acumen books that he hey, that he's known for and he goes one day i woke up and I just decided that was the day things were going to change. And two weeks later, I wrote my first book. I'm like, bullshit, man. That's not how life works. You don't yeah, just no. wake up one day out of a decade of patterning. I don't feel like that's sustainable no. at all. So That's a I'm dopamine not, thing. It's yeah. like, I feel great. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm just not anyway. a believer that things just flip on a dime like yeah, that. So definitely. it was a multi-year buildup yeah. to get me to it that was point. time. Yeah. 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 Um, and then I was just at that time, I was just open to trying anything. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to open my mind, stop trying to be so dogmatic about my beliefs. And did you feel really low at that time before you started changing? Like, was it a bad low? The deeper the low, the more, the more aggressive I got about wanting to change. Yeah. Um, kind of the big catalyst what I would say really propelled me to the level of like, I'm fucking done. I was just in a really, really dark place in my life doing a lot of drugs on the weekend. Um, even one of my, one of my closest friends to me now, someone I consider a brother out here, uh, said the first year he met me, he thought, he thought of, he, Oh, it's the Coke guy, Austin. Oh my God. You know, he thought that's like yeah. all I ever did. Yeah. Because every time I was around him on the weekends, I was always, you know, I usually didn't have it, but I never said no. Yeah. Somebody always does, yeah. you know, in those bar environments. Yeah. And I was like, damn, dude. Yeah. You're like, you I know? got a title now. Oh so five, six years in our friendship, he's like, yeah, man, I thought you're always just the dude that just co- did coke all the time. So it's like, you know, I w- wasn't in a good spot. Every weekend I go out, if I was drinking, I was probably doing blow or some other form of, of drug and, um, so that was putting me in depressive states. I didn't have any meaning in my career at the time. Um, There's just a lot of unhealthy things going on in my life. And I was telling my buddy Colt about it. He was like, listen, man, this is going to sound really weird, but I'm going to give you a gram and a half of mushrooms. Stay at <laughs> home on Friday. Yeah. 
light some candles, put some music on, figure your shit out. Like, yeah. What? It's like, I promise you, man. It's going to sound weird. Am I, you know, my... Is that a microdose? I don't know. What, mm-hmm. no, or is that like enough is to like get you tripped out? Point one, point two. Okay. So like 100 milligrams, 200 milligrams. Okay. Um, this was, a hundred, you know, 1,500 milligrams. So one and a half grams. Um, and sure shit, I did. And I journaled like 20 pages out that night. I cried for the first time in years. Um, I saw things different. And I woke up. That was... That, I think, was the moment I woke up the next day like, oh, I'm not supposed to feel like this, this yeah. circle I keep going in. I'm not supposed to feel this stuff. This yeah. is not normal. The, yeah. the life I'm living is not fulfilling. I think that was the moment where I got more serious about it. Yeah. So if there is any, you know, event where it was like that was the shift, I would say that was. But even from that day till now, it's been a four year journey of crazy figuring shit out. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, it's, first time I did mushrooms was when I guess I put my foot down. Yeah. Like, okay, everything I've been feeling is real. And now I have, I've had a glimpse of what... The other side. It feels like to not feel any of those things. Wow. To escape all of that for mm-hmm. a little bit. And that is what I want to feel always. Interesting. It's like what we talked about before we started recording. You don't know how good you can feel until you have. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't even know what that feels like until you experience it. And it's interesting, too, because drugs are initially like kind of what got you in that place, that low place. Mm-hmm. But they're also the same thing that you use to get out of it. I don't like to use the term drugs. I think that's the problem with the psychedelic movement right now is okay. they're still attached to... Would you call it medicine then? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would. Absolutely. I mean, drugs are... <laughs> some drugs are medicine. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. I mean, John Ehrlich, Ehrlichman, um, whatever, the co-conspirator in Watergate, with uh with nixon that started the whole drug war there's a famous quote of his that are like uh he said something about their biggest two issues with their administration were um it was a very racist administration they had a lot of issues with black people and they had a lot of issues with the hippies that were the anti-war movement um and civil rights was going up so they attached heroin to black people and they attached marijuana to the hippies and started the drug war, drug, war mm-hmm, on drugs. Mm-hmm. And there's some quote of his that's saying, our two biggest issues are the hippies and the blacks. And we can't come out as a political party and say that they're an issue. So we attached them to marijuana and heroin Crazy. and then created a war on drugs that inadvertently gave them the bad view we needed them to have in society. Crazy. The quote's way crazier, yeah. but that's the general No, that idea makes sense, yeah. And then it ends with, uh, did we know drugs were, the, were not the issue? Absolutely. So the whole drug war that's been perpetuated for the last 50 years was all bullshit to start with, to feed this narrative that they wanted to feed so they could continue this warmongering, everything else that happened, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's why I don't like this attachment of marijuana or mushrooms or DMT or ayahuasca or ibogaine, them being considered drugs. They're not. They're medicines. Right, and drugs have kind of a recreational connotation to them Mm -hmm. when they can be medicinal, like you said. Right. Yeah, I see that. Yeah. Drugs are pharmaceuticals. Right. In my opinion. And then you have your... Synthetic. Exactly. That's In my mind, that's what drugs are. And then you have the gray area drugs. Yeah. Heroin, obviously, isn't great, right? Yeah, we we want to stay away from there. Yeah. You got got some of those as well, but... (laughs) Synthetics so, to me are, are drugs, things yeah, that are much more made harmful in a lab. for you than some of the stuff that we're finding in nature. Right. Agreed. That's My view on marijuana, though, is like not a popular 
opinion like What's that? i'm like not really for marijuana really yeah i In what aspect it lowers your estrogen and testosterone depending on if mm-hmm. you're male or a woman or a increases male or your estrogen in males yeah so mm-hmm. it does it um either way isn't great for um hormones. Your, horm- your sex hormones yeah um it also is i i still need to read up more on this but apparently it's the like if you have any kind of predisposition to psychosis or anything like that thc is like the fastest way to get there really yeah out of any drug which is really interesting to me i also like personally too i just feel like crap on it so that's like my personal side of it coming in but um yeah i'm not really for it like i'm not against it if people do it and they and Mm -hmm. that's how they get through whatever they have to get through i'm i'm not like against it it's just personally for me not something that i'm really into yeah and i i wouldn't categorize like marijuana to me it's just it's fun being yeah, high sometimes yeah, yeah. food's more enjoyable yeah. like it makes things more enjoyable like i said not against it just yeah. not for me i have some yeah. friends where we'll sit down and smoke a joint and we'll get lost for two hours talking about you know stoned ape theory or quantum physics yeah. or it's like crazy a stuff yeah. yeah yeah to me that's not a medicine yeah right i agree um i would prefer to smoke a joint than drink I feel less shitty. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally so get that. It, that's that category to me. Yeah. It's more of a social um, fun thing. I wouldn't consider it in the same category of a medicine as what I do psilocybin. I don't need, yeah. Or DMT I, I agree. or yeah, any yeah. of that kind of stuff. So, so again, I, yeah, and that's the problem with word drugs. Yeah, All of this is categorized yeah. in one. They, yes. When to me, you should break this thing out in four to five different categories, yes, right? Yes, Different uses, different side effects, different. So what was the first... So you said mushrooms was the first time you experienced this new feeling and kind mm-hmm. of opened your eyes to a new perspective. What are some other things you did to get out of the rut in the low? Uh, I became a an obsessive reader. I think that just understanding more about our pasts, where do we come from, who are we, understanding the brain, how chemicals work, um, understanding society and mm-hmm. culture, mm-hmm. Um, just constantly feeding. So yourself getting outside opens, of yourself, more. Yeah, yeah, opens your mind to look at things differently and changes your perspective. We get so caught up sometimes in these ruts we're in, and I know I'm not the only one that feels that. I know half my friends who are still doing the same shit felt yeah. what I yeah. feel. Yeah. They feel lonely at the end of the night. They yeah. know the relationships that they're building in these environments are not real yeah. friendships or real relationships. There's no intimacy when you're with somebody that all you're doing is getting fucked up yeah. together. Yeah. You need, yeah. You're not, not getting to know that person And also if level. you have to do that, there's like something you're running from. Right. You're, you're running from facing the reality of a really intimate, real conversation. Right. It's like, what are you afraid of? A lot of people are addicted to that environment and those feelings. You know, Gabor Mate believes, and I'm starting to as well, that nearly all addiction is stemmed from trauma. Mm -hmm. You know, I I had this, one of my favorite bars out here, I had this moment where I went there through this whole transformation where I was starting to realize that I don't need to attach my identity to this party guy. I can still be friends with these people without needing to go out and get fucked up. I don't need to be at the bar for eight hours a day. I can go out and have one or two beers and say hi to my friends and show them love and then leave and go do my own thing. In that transition period, I remember the I got to one of my favorite bars and I was sitting there looking around. I'm like, fuck, this is just a place for people to gather and throw their trauma on each other. Yeah. And 
then it, you know, connection to addiction. And then I started reading a Gabra Mate and I'm like, oh, it all makes sense yeah. now. Yeah. Um, I don't even know what your question was a second ago. I think it was like we were talking about other oh, things. Oh, what that else? You were doing. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, starting to read and then understand and, and getting into Young and yeah. Gabra Mate and understanding the brain and yeah. psychology and how people work and how trauma works. Isn't that interesting? When you can take the emotion out of it, if you are someone that's afraid of intimacy and just feeling and emotions if you take the emotion out of it and you look at your brain and your own experiences with like a scientific lens Mm -hmm. and like looking at your anxiety or maybe it's your depression or whatever you struggle with when you look at it through a science lens it's easier almost to get through and figure out a way to get through it because if you're afraid of that intimacy and that emotional side of things yeah, you're able to break things down like that's why science is so important i think that's why we're in a weird place societally right now too is um you can break down all of that to a scientific level yeah. like right now we're in a an environment that is constantly spiking your dopamine right whether it's the news good or bad people don't understand that spikes your dopamine when you hear all this chaotic stuff in yeah. the world your body doesn't know the difference yeah. then you jump from news to social media then you jump to the soundbite culture of arguing over stuff. All of this stuff is constantly spiking your dopamine. Even ordering the Uber Eats the instead of like the, cooking something. Dopamine without effort is a disaster. Right. Like if you're not putting in effort and everything has become effortless, you know? Sorry, it's a reward just, system. Yeah. So yeah. if you don't do anything to get that reward, right. your body isn't supposed to be in this hyper-rewarded state like, all the time. Right. Yeah. So in that state, in a hyper um, active dopamine dripping state, which is society that we live in right now, it creates the catalyst for something called uh, apophysia, I believe, apophenia, um, which is essentially, uh, I don't want to mess up this definition because it's a good one. It's the finding meaningful connection in otherwise unrelated things. Wow. So again, you're so you're in this hyper dopamine state that yeah. creates this apophy, apophenia, I believe is is what it is, where now we're finding meaningful connection from shit that shouldn't be connected. Well, you touch that, that to social media like and insanity? then conspiracy theory <laughs> yeah. and all these different things that were mass formation, yeah. which is a real thing right yes, now on a chemical level. And but group think and yeah, just all, all these things. It's all chemical yeah. that causes that kind of thing to happen. Yeah. And then yeah. so you have this dopamine issue that is causing this apophenia, which leads to tribalism, yep. which then we're in an environment where we're told that we're not supposed to socialize, which drops your oxytocin, which is the trust hormone. So if you're not <sighs> trusting of people, yeah. that heightens states of depression and anxiety. Yeah. The, the world we live in is not... Just, yeah, yeah. Our, we're not meant for this. No, a thousand percent. Uh, one of my favorite quotes, E.O. Wilson, he's a Harvard biologist, said, we have um, paleolithic emotions... medieval institutions and godlike technology wow and that's That's everything right there and another great quote is um i'm reading his book right now jamie wheel recapture the rapture he says tribalism is destiny humanism is optional so you have all Mm. these things going on from a chemical level that is absolutely destroying society the way our our brain function and society is set up right now and then you lead to um, this tribalism culture that is ingrained in us. We evolved to be tribal creatures. Yes. So these divides that we see are ever larger and larger, right? Yeah. Left, right, 
conservative, progressive. It's crazy. Um, it's so Democrat, it's so against Republican, our tribal and paleolithic vegan, tendencies. Vegan, carnivore, anything. Yeah, Name yeah. the topic. Anything we become to, so tribal. But do you want to know? I, yeah, that's so interesting. I also think too, like anxiety, especially for me, I think we were meant to have it obviously to survive, right? Like we were meant to have this this survival mechanism that gives us the ability to run and fight and nowadays it is too safe in terms of we can go to the grocery store and get anything we want whenever we, we want. have no connection we can to our order food. our groceries we don't even have to go to the grocery store like all these things that we would need to do to survive like where does that anxiety and energy go when we don't need it for survival like well, anxiety is it, it's your body telling you something's wrong yeah so Something like four in ten people suffer from um, mid to severe anxiety. So bad. It's because you're living a life you're not meant to live. Yeah. Why don't you take yeah. a second back and reflect on yeah. that? How yeah. are these things impacting something your life? Something is wrong and it's not like your you're nutrition not crazy. Is shit. Like something your sleep is wrong. Is shit. Your yeah. relationship with social media yeah. is shit. Yeah. Your, your relationship with individuals is surface level and shit. Yeah. You have no real community, right? Everything. You're obsessed with the news and this negative feedback loop that we're constantly going yeah. through yeah so yeah it's just this whole again off on another tangent here but that is what reading and i became a podcast fiend i've probably yeah. listened to three four thousand hours of podcasts in the last four or five years crazy i listen to more podcasts than music i me mean too. so going down these rabbit holes have allowed me to learn all the things we just talked about which right. gives you a different perspective on the world it, does. it gives you more yeah. compassion for people that maybe just don't understand that, oh, yeah. this is a chemical issue in, yeah. your, in your brain that is yeah. causing you to think this way. Well, how can I systematically get out of this? People don't look at Instead it. Instead of way. looking at it like, I'm broken. I was born with this. This is just how I am. And that's how I used to think about my own issues. Mm -hmm. I was like, it's just who I am. But there's always scientific explanation that you can look into which yep. is a beautiful thing and that's the power of of opening your mind yeah and, and learning things that you might have once disagreed with or reading topics that you don't fully understand and mm -hmm. listening to podcasts from the smartest minds in the world yeah it's like some people say podcasts are a waste of time and i'm like dude what you I can know. have the most i could have a degree right now for how much i've yeah. listened to like it's like i'm getting lectures every all, day, all day probably three or four hours a day, I'm listening to lecture. Like, it's like I could have a you're degree. You're feeding yourself <laughs> with knowledge yeah, and you're constantly yeah. learning. So yeah. doing all of that is what like, you know, I had that mushroom experience. I realized what feeling in during that experience when I was able to strip myself from all the things that was always holding me back, this fear of who I am, this fear of identity, this fear of intimacy, right. this um, anxiety and constant stress, no meaning in my life, no meaning in my career. All of that disappeared during that mushroom experience. That's what put me on this catalyst of Reading, podcasts, trying to figure it out, doing different modalities of therapy, right. willing to do anything I can to take what I felt in that experience. Yeah. How do I bring that to normal life without right. needing that? Without needing the psilocybin. Exactly. Right. Have right. your thoughts on that changed though? Like, do you take psilocybin daily now? I, I truly, um, daily, yes. And about every three to four months I go and like do- Like a reset? Uh, yeah, I have a, uh, th there's a lot of words for it. 
people commonly know the word shaman. They don't like to call themselves shaman. Mm-hmm. My He likes to refer to himself as a guide. Um, I have a medicine guide that is That's in great. San Francisco. Every three to four months, I go up and do what's called a hero's dose. I'll do four, five, six grams of mushrooms. Um, I've had journeys where at the peak of it, we've sniffed 5-MeO-DMT, which is like a toad poison. It's the most powerful psychedelic on earth to stack those things, to have profoundly life-changing trauma healing experiences right. that have changed my entire perception on me, the world, other people, my relationships. Do you remember things? Did memories mm-hmm. surface that you didn't know you had from mm-hmm. doing those experiences? Yep. Wow. Yeah, I've tried MDMA therapy. That was what yeah, I started doing I've before I got that. into the psilocybin. Um, I've tried ketamine therapy. How? What, what would you rank these in? Like for people that don't know anything about them maybe touch on like what each one is shown to be more beneficial for and then like what one worked the best for you there it's it's all it's a process so with with my guide specifically he's been doing this for decade and a half something like that i I believe the entire thing's a process so your first four sessions were just talk therapy we'd facetime for an hour like i was sitting with a therapist and i tried regular talk therapy for almost a year saw three different people and not to sound pretentious but i felt above the conversation it felt like it was scripted it felt like they were reading from a book it felt like they weren't actually understanding what i was saying it was step one step two step three here you are on the list in this chart and i'm like humans don't work like that no we're not linear so i tried that didn't work which is what opened me and then after i stopped doing that is when i had my first mushroom experience and then me and a buddy were took some mushrooms for a Christmas party, started talking. He's like, oh, my dad does psychedelic. I'm like, what the hell? So that's how this Crazy. whole thing happened. Yeah. And then, so we did four talk therapy sessions. So he could kind of establish a baseline of my trauma. Where are you in life? What are you looking to do? Are you doing this for the right reasons? Because right. another issue with the psychedelics and why they're linked to drugs so much is because set and setting is a big thing. You have to have intention when yeah. using these things, yeah. right? Taking two grams of mushrooms and going to a shore club isn't the environment makes you should me have anxiety be taking it. Right I've now. done it. It wasn't oh a good time. God. It was not a good time. I have anxiety thinking about it. I sat in the corner by the window of the breeze and apparently as my bartender friends told me you did not move for a better part of five hours and every time they came over to bring you another beer you'd be like I'm tripping so hard. Oh my gosh. Not the so environment to go take yeah. mushrooms. But <laughs> no. if I take two grams by myself at home on a Friday and I turn out the lights and I light some candles and I put a sleep mask on and I get a journal out and I put uh, intentional music on. There's uh, Forrest East is a great guy. He has an album called Music for Mushrooms where it's wow. it's music that is paired with a psychedelic experience to create an environment that is going to help you dive deeper and I've done probably two dozens of those self-guided journeys at home wow. where I work shit out. If I yeah. have a big life decision to make or I'm going through a lot of stress or I have a lot of anxiety or I'm trying to figure it out. It allows you to like face your yeah. your own demons too without the fear response, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I've had a lot of those experiences where I'll journal things out and I'll figure things out and it's so healing and you yeah. get to know yourself better. So set and setting is a very big thing yeah. about these. So you do four. I did four um, therapies so he could establish a baseline. And then I went up to San Fran for my first journey with him, which was MDMA. Because MDMA, speaking of your fear response, yeah, MDMA it inhibits the amygdala, the, the right? way it works. Yep, it yeah. mutes the amygdala. Yeah. So it allows you to relive moments, PTSD for a lot of people, 
that you otherwise suppress. Right. And by living those and you're able to talk through them, look at them from a new light, mm-hmm. apply a lot of emotion to it. When you suppress your amygdala, yeah. you allow yourself to feel. So yeah. a lot of people, when they go through a, a traumatic event that does trigger, you know, f- one out of 10 people have severe PTSD, four out of 10 people have mild PTSD. Yeah. So and a lot of us are experiencing on a daily basis and don't understand how it's controlling our lives. So mm-hmm. when you mute the amygdala, you allow yourself to relive these events, but you also allow yourself to feel. You allow yourself to fully understand and look at that event from a different lens, mm-hmm. even if it's just crying about that. Right, right. Letting that people understand Because you can't crying. do that if you have PTSD. Like if, if you are triggered and you have severe PTSD, the physiological responses to the trigger can not let you feel mm-hmm. what you need to feel and look at it the way you you could if you silence the amygdala right yeah yeah and what people don't understand is like the emotion crying that is a detox yeah you are yes you are letting go of something you're it's holding chemical. on to it's so healthy for you it's so good and we're in a society that shames you yeah. especially, especially men, men for feeling yeah. emotions i cry all the time now it's so good and it is so the good. best feeling in the world if a guy doesn't cry i'm like red flag run because yeah. i'm like i don't want some pent-up angry no yeah so that's the power of MDMA therapy. And we yeah. did three sessions before, you know, we went on to the, the next level, was, which was doing therapy with mushrooms. It's because so, I had to, through MDMA, reliving these events, bringing up things that you suppress, you start to understand that your trauma is not your identity. Yes. And that is so important yes. to detach those things. Because then you carry it with you forever if you don't. Mm-hmm. But but with MDMA, isn't the key to not only like experience it, but rewrite the narrative of the thing that you were experiencing? So like changing the narrative around it. Isn't that like how you heal from the trauma essentially yes yeah yeah because again when you allow yourself to relive these events you can paint it in a different picture right and come to it with better understanding yeah and perspective um which allows you to rewrite it rewrite right. that memory live it through a different lens yeah. it's like my first my first mdma session was all about my mom yeah i so it he my guide going into my first journey ever with him he was like, have your mom send you 200 pictures from a couple years before the divorce, during a couple years after, that period of your life. I was like, all right. So she sent me all these pictures, and I'm like a month out from my journey. And he goes, between now and then, I want you to narrow down to 20 pictures and bring those with you up here. I was like, okay. So I narrowed down to 20 pictures, things that evoke emotion or strong memory, and I bring up the San Fran. Um, it's very ceremonious. There, there's a lot of stuff you do before going into it. Again, intention. These things are very powerful medicines if used mm-hmm. properly. So we do the whole ceremony before we start the journey. Gives me the, the capsule and then um, leaves me in the room for about 15 minutes alone. He's like, take it, speak your intentions, be at one with it, be at peace, meditate for a minute, whatever you want to do. I'll be back in 15 minutes. Comes back in and... Uh, he goes, and going into it, I didn't know what to expect. Uh, up until that point in my life, I had probably done Molly, right? That's all MDMA is. Molly, ecstasy, MDMA, big confusion. It's all the exact same shit. There is no difference between ecstasy and MDMA. Ecstasy got a typical standard norm of being cut with other things and being more of an upper because it's cut with meth- methamphetamines, but it's all the same shit. Should be at least. Mm-hmm. So I had rolled 
I don't know, 100, 150 times in my life at that point. Every time I went to a festival, yeah. every time I went inside like, DJ, I'm used to this. Half the time I was yeah. in Old Town Scottsdale. Right? <laughs> I'm like, so what the hell is this stuff going to do? Yeah. But this is the power of set and setting. The exact yeah. same drug taken from a party environment to a, an intentional environment where I knew I was going to do a deep dive into my trauma and my emotions with a, a guide who is experienced in walking you through this. A totally different outcome, right? I bet. So he gives me the capsule. I kind of chuckle. He's like being very ceremonious about it. Yeah. Speak attention. Like, bro, I've like, taken bro, this so many times. Bro, I'm not a newbie. Yeah, Come like, on. Get, get <laughs> out of the room so I can this. take this yeah. and not, not think a big deal. So that was kind of my mindset going into it. <clears throat> Comes back in the room. He goes, let me know when it starts to hit. I'm like, okay. And he goes, until it does, one by one, we're going to walk through all these pictures. Tell me what comes up when you see this picture. What is mm. evoked? Um, I was like, okay. So I think 18, 19 out of the 20 pictures had my father in them. Again, he left. All my anger was directed at him. I thought that's where all my issues were. And I start rolling. And I'm like, dude, I don't. And he, oh, we go through one by one. It starts to hit. I'm like, I'm starting to feel it. And he goes, fuck everything we just talked about. Pick one picture. I was like, oh, shit. So I start filing through them again. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know why, man, but this is the only one that like speaks to me. I feel an energy about this. And it was the only picture What's in the deck mom? of my mom and I. Mm. Uh, after one of my high school football games. I was like, and he's like, all right, well, put it on your pillow next to you. Put the eye mask on. I'm going to put some music on. I'm going to be at the other end of the room. I'm not going to talk to you. I'm not here to guide you through anything. This is your journey. Um, but if you need anything, let me know. If you want to talk about something, great. If you want me to write notes about something that comes up, great. You want me to change the music, you need a blanket, you need a glass of water, I'm here to facilitate. That's it. And I'm like, what the hell, dude? I thought you were supposed to like walk me through. Yeah. <laughs> and um, fast forward five hours, don't remember anything. Wow. I remember waking up, taking my mask off, and I apologize. And kind of chuckles, what are you apologizing for? I'm like, I feel like we just went in. He's like, look, reach over and grab your phone. I reach over. It's been five and a half hours. I'm like, what the hell just happened? Um, Crazy. And you, know, you go into it. Again, it's all about intentions when yeah. you're taking these things. That's yeah. the difference between them being a drug and a medicine. Right, so right. a month before, no sex, no wow. tobacco, no alcohol, no marijuana, no any other drug. Your, Nothing your that alters your chemicals. Your diet is extremely clean. Yeah. Um, you're going into these journeys extremely like detoxed. Interesting. And um, even like a week or two out, something that is weird to talk about in our environment, but everyone does it. No masturbation within 14 days of it. No coffee within 10 days of it. Uh, I fasted for 36 hours before the journey. So Holy shit. You go I could not even it. fast for a day. Yeah. You no. go into it with, with intentions that are hyper front of your mind right, because it's right. things that we struggle to eliminate right, right right that's so true and you're like i came this far this like i need to really put everything into this yeah yeah so i come up i wake up i'm like i don't remember much of it crazy i thought it was 10 minutes uh i don't feel like i talked that much he kind of laughs he pulls up a notepad and he starts flipping pages he's like dude you talk more than most people look at all crazy. my notes i'm like holy shit man i don't remember anything he goes, all right, I'll go get you some, you know, prepares a fruit and up board to break your fast. He goes and gets that and I'm sitting there eating. I'm kind of rolling, still coming out of it. And I ask him a question. I'm like, so what, what do you talk about? He's like, we're not going to talk about anything. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, we're not talking about anything. Today. And he leaves the room. <laughs> what? And now I'm in this bedroom 
I'm like, what the fuck? It's like you, you did all the therapy, yeah, though. I'm like, you just kind of coming conscious. down now, yeah. and like, you know, it goes and gives me a couple capsules, you know, DHA, a couple other things yeah. that are going to help that serotonin bounce back. And he's like, you ready to go back to the hotel? I'm like, yeah, sure. All right. So we get in the car, we're driving back. He's like, over the next, our follow up session was five days later. He's like, over the next five days, meditate, journal. Um, spend as much alone time as you can. That was another thing is going into these, my going back to the anxiety question earlier, I, I couldn't be in silence ever. If I was in the shower, I had music on. If I'm yeah, cooking, that, I have that a podcast was me. on. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. couldn't ever be by myself. I me was afraid too. of my own brain Same. and my own emotions. <laughs> so that was another thing. He goes, yeah. spend as much time alone in wow. silence as it's you like can. Because he knew fear. that was a big trigger for me. Same. So I do what he said over the next five days. I had to take a couple of days off work because my emotions were just all over the place. I was having flashbacks. Things were coming Shit. up. Emotions were coming up. Things that I thought I forgot or suppressed. And, uh, and we have a follow-up session. He goes, okay, tell me everything that you kind of self-discovered, visualized, anything that happened over the last five days. I go through it all. He holds up the notepad page by page. He's like, you pretty much just talked about all the things that you talked about in the journey and I didn't have to bring any of it out. So it was like this, the power was I self-discovered and relived things and healed from it on my own without needing somebody else to really guide me there. Right. Obviously, he, him being the medicine guide, I needed the notes. He needs to help me understand some of the things I said, right? He's still yeah. very powerful. Yeah. But so much of that was done through my own healing. Yeah. yeah. My own experience. Yeah. So did a second MDMA session. All the shit about my dad comes up, right? Within, so wow. up until that point in my life, I had a very, before that first session, I had a very uh, disassociative relationship with my mother. Like, mm -hmm. I would feel weird saying I love you. Wow. Um, no wonder I couldn't let women get close to me. Yeah. Right? The one uh, woman figure in your life, you were like, I yep. resent you. Yeah. Um, every time I said it, I felt a resentment there. Wow. Um, if she gave me an extended hug, I wouldn't like it. Um, I hated telling her anything about what I was going on in my life. I felt ashamed. I felt embarrassed. I felt like yeah. I'd be judged. Within three to four months of that first MDMA session, and since then, my mom has become one of my closest friends. That's so beautiful I tell her thing. everything in my life. Um, she came out here, and we went to dinner in Little Italy, and I spent three hours basically just pouring everything out. Oh, my God. Here's how I feel about you. Here's how I felt. Here's where I am now. I've been experimenting with this type of psychedelic therapy. You know, my oldest brother was an addict for seven, eight, nine years of my life. So my mom hearing that was probably tough for her. Right, so I was always afraid right. to tell her what I was yeah. wanting to do. And she had no idea how well, my extensive so drug too. use party. Like my parents are very traditional. If I bring up shrooms or something, they're like, oh my God, it's a drug. Like, yeah, my, my mom's yeah. from Wisconsin. Same place as, yeah, as your yeah. family. Yeah, so same thing. Very yeah. traditional. Yeah. And fast forward two years into this, my mom was in Wisconsin with my three aunts in the car this past summer. And my mom called me with <laughs> all my aunts on speakerphone to ask me about psychedelics. If we were to take mushrooms together, how much would we take? <gasps> oh my god! So it's cool to see that even she, yeah. I always thought my mom was going to be closed minded and yeah. judge me. And now yesterday she texted me, do you know, I can't remember the guy's name. I'm like, no, I don't. Sent, I pull up, she sends me an article of the guy and he like used to be a super high powered attorney that's now doing wow. psychedelic medicine and she's wow. so interested in it. And, isn't it crazy when you open your own mind, how it can help other people open theirs? Yeah. You know? And I, I didn't ever give her benefit of doubt. I thought she's going to judge me. And so we have this great lunch. And ever since then, we talk every week and she knows oh every God. single thing I going on in my life it. and everything I try. And I never would have been able to get there unless yeah. I had that 
MDMA-assisted psychedelic therapy session. Yeah, I mean, it gave you the physiological ability to surrender to something that you were so afraid to see and experience again. Mm-hmm. And that's beautiful. In one session so crazy. created the healing of that relationship. So that has crazy. now been years. And, and But it, it makes sense that sometimes we need something that powerful because years and years of the same repeated narrative mm-hmm. just get wired in us. And it's so hard to un undo that and sometimes like being able to face that without the fear response that we always get like it makes sense to me that it works you know yeah and it's you know soldiers especially so maps uh the multidisciplinary association of psychedelic studies they've been working on this for 20 plus years uh focused primarily on mdma assisted psychotherapy for ptsd They've been, I think, five or six years into trials with the FDA on veterans to cure their PTSD. They just released their three-year data. Um, Thousands of veterans through this program. 76, I believe it's 76%. This is definitely something we'll look up. 70% plus. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. After two MDMA-assisted psychotherapy sessions, one year later, 70-plus percent of veterans have zero symptoms of PTSD after two sessions. Two sessions. The leading depression medication on the market has an average success rate of 12% 12, right? and yeah. still creates suicidal ideation. Thousand, it can make them worse. What the fuck? How yeah. is it? Tell me it's not a medicine. No, you know I, what yeah, I mean? Yeah, so, 70. Oh my it's crazy. 70 versus 12. Like 12 is literally placebo. Yeah. Almost. Uh, placebo is probably higher. Placebo is, I think, average in the 30s. Right, yeah, right. Yeah, it's crazy. So it's just... Yeah. Wow. So, um, that's incredible. And that's not even the power of all these other psychedelics. Right. You know, I've done just touching this five surface. meo DMT with uh, a few different yeah, people. That's heavy the shit. first time I did five meo DMT um, was a guy out of Mexico that learned from old tribes that drove up twenty hours to do it with me and a couple buddies. Oh Since gosh. the day I had that session, I have not suffered from social anxiety once. I had a full purge. It really purge, changes you. 100%. Yeah. I yeah. came out of that thing. Two of my best friends in the room, and I'm first thing I said to him was like, my entire life have been afraid to be who I actually am. Wow. And one of my buddies, Steve, was like, what the fuck, dude? Holy shit. Are you kidding? Like, you okay? You, again, people <laughs> so see happy. me in, a, in an environment where I'm social and right. I'm, you know... But I've always had the anxiety ever yeah. since that day after that experience. I have not suffered from that once. That's so interesting. Um, did, and then, did, can um, I ask you, did social anxiety come after your parents split up or was it before? I can't even remember. Yeah. All I remember is once I started becoming aware of what I felt, you know, which wasn't until my mid-20s, I was able to even call it social anxiety. Right, right. Um, I thought everybody felt that when yeah. you're a group of people. Yeah, interesting. And then I start reading and understanding how brain works and trauma works. and. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't be able to answer that honestly. So yes, I, I, I'd say the biggest catalyst in my healing and understanding and being at one with my trauma and growing through it has been psychedelics Wow. in a lot of different ways. Um, and yeah, so you progress from the MDMA. So once the MDMA helps you absolve your identity to the trauma and realize that this is not me, this is not my story, then you graduate, they call it to book two. Um, which is mushrooms. And this mm. is more about helping you experience life fuller, having more compassion for people, um, attaching yourself to 
like what mushrooms has shown me is that there's it's just there's so much that is greater than I that I don't need to understand. I don't need to put a label on it. Mm-hmm. I don't need a book to tell me it. Yeah. I don't need a preacher at the front of the stage telling me his yeah. interpretation of it. I don't need any of that. Yeah. All I know now is that I have a belief in something greater and that's good enough for me. I, and I think that's what the like the most beautiful part about spirituality is it doesn't matter what it is, just knowing something's bigger than you that's it. alleviates that anxiety. You're not this center of the universe like you are a speck mm-hmm. and you can choose to worry about things that seemingly don't matter at all or you can realize that the world is so much bigger than you could ever imagine the universe yeah and even going back to chemically you know yeah. a sense of awe can't think of the scientific word of it but having a sense of wonder or awe naturally uh, is uh, directly associated with um, an increase in happiness people report in their life, a decrease in anxiety, a mm-hmm. de- decrease in um, depression, an increase of meaningfulness in life, mm-hmm. an increase of uh, closeness in relationships. Yeah. So it could be anything of um, people that love to hike and spend time in nature. When you're yeah. looking at these immense mountain ranges, that's all. Right. You're literally triggering a chemical response in your brain Be, that but you feel centers small. you and calms yeah. you, makes you feel small, brings you back. Yeah. When you look at the ocean, that's why the it's beach gl- vibe, it's a real thing. Yeah, that's Beach towns, yeah. when you're looking at the ocean day in and day out, this expanse that our minds can barely comprehend, yeah. it's yeah. a sense of awe. It, it's it the one thing that grounds me. Yeah. yeah, It's a very grounding thing. That's so interesting. That's what psychedelics do too, is these experiences yeah. provide you a sense of wonder and awe that just blow your mind right. and make you let go of so much shit that we hold on to. And also the need probably to feel relevant and important. And I think that's, I struggled with social anxiety actually last year. And it, some of it was physiological with like the breast implant thing. But a lot of it, I think, was this fear of not being relevant enough, not working hard enough on my podcast and saying enough interesting things and and just like when I would go out I would want to make sure I was entertaining people and it's like why do I feel this need to be so relevant and important you know and then I feel like psychedelics things like that even looking at the ocean the reason that I feel so calm from it is because I can release that that need and that feeling of like I need to be something bigger than I am it makes me feel like no I am just a speck mm-hmm. and the universe is this beautiful humongous thing yeah it changes your perspective on everything everything yeah. becomes more beautiful time slows down you enjoy moments more yeah um you find meaning in things that were other otherwise meaningless before um having jobs that i used to hate all of a sudden i find more happiness and it wasn't the job it was my mindset in the job a thousand right? percent because every so, job is a job yeah yeah so yeah i i i psychedelics in multiple ways because i think that was your initial question i use them in a very medicinal sense in a therapeutic sense Mm -hmm. every three to four months i have a very intentional journey i go on that's great yeah and i journal about it and i meditate on it (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. yeah and then daily um i microdose uh experiment microdosing with lsd and mushrooms as well i have a mushroom supplement i started about a year ago with a couple of buddies um, where it's like an adaptogen base. It's got lion's mane, chaga, reishi, yeah. turkey tail, niacin, wow, um, and an active yeah. psilocybin in there. You know, microdosing mushrooms got me off Adderall addiction of seven years. Wow. You know, I started taking Adderall. It started at five milligram extended or instant release. 
then 10 then were 15, you prescribed adderall or was mm-hmm. that like so- okay I-, I started buying it from friends then realized it worked then i started right. going to the doctor this is like two years buying it black label whatever yeah. you want to call it and then i started going to the doctor for five years what started as five milligram instant release five years later i'm taking 30 milligram extended release twice a day wow. i'm like oh shit i feel like my brain's melting my personality started changing started yeah. becoming short people my sleep was shit my anxiety was through the yeah. roof but did uh, you have ADHD, do you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm i only asking these questions because I recently realized with myself that I think I have ADHD and I was misdiagnosed like with anxiety and all these things. And I definitely have anxiety, but, um, and I think they're very related, but um, it's interesting because I've talked to a lot of people that were like, I've tried SSRIs, I've tried, and we all know that those are very hit or miss, but they're like the one thing that changed me and helped me actually get through the day was Adderall and obviously I'm very like holistic and I'd prefer not to go down that route but um I think the way that they were treating my insomnia and my inability to focus and my anxiety was actually because like I was having paradoxical effects to things that were supposed to make me tired and instead they would like rev me up right so I'm like curious to know how effective mushrooms are compared to the Adderall that you were taking like do you feel like it it replaced that need for Adderall 100 percent. Yeah, yeah yeah but um the I think for a lot of people the way Adderall starts is not why they continue to take it you get addicted to that cracked out feeling almost. Yeah, yeah. Like you feel Superman, that you can yeah. do anything all day long. Unlimited well, isn't energy, it unlimited brain power. It's yeah. meth. It's yeah. legalized meth. Yeah. And you don't get that when you take Adderall 22 minutes later, you know, you're fucking through the roof with just productivity and, and energy. And it's not like that. Yeah. It's subtle. You don't, so microdose by definition is sub hallucinatory. You're not going to notice any effects. You just, your mood is enhanced. Yeah. You have a different perspective on life. All of a sudden you have this innate feeling of just wanting to make better decisions for yourself and in your life. You're, you are elated for no particular reason. You just have a sense of of happiness to you mm-hmm. you just have a different outlook on life a different perception of your day it does provide a little energy colors get a little bit more vibrant but it, it's almost hard to explain uh, yeah, it like just it shifts alter, your yeah. consciousness yeah. to a level and there's also it's mechanic uh, mechanistic in a way mm-hmm. psilocybin when broken down into psilocin that's what niacin mixed in our microdose capsule is good for because it helps cross the blood-brain barrier which creates an environment for neurogenesis neuroplasticity to actually rewire the brain our brain is is in now there psilocybin studies the ufc has been using them john hopkins has been experimenting it's been proven to both cure not cure but help heal from tbi mm, and alcohol wow, induced brain so it's, damage it's regenerative almost it's regenerative yeah um interesting and if you're microdosing every day you're creating an environment for neuroplasticity and you're doing the right thing yeah. you're feeding your brain with the right information right. and tools to grow and redevelop right. and addressing your trauma yeah. and not being afraid of it that is what gives you the ability to start turning that corner and looking yeah. at things different and changing perspective it really is pers- it's perspective you know my dad is I, I believe has suffered from probably manic depression most of his life 
Um, I don't know if it's a real diagnosis, but I think he also has social anxiety and a lot of other things. He started trying the capsule we have a couple months ago and said, he goes, dude, I don't, I don't notice anything. I just feel happier. I'm more productive. Um, I'm more social. Yeah. He's like, that's what I think medicine should be. It shouldn't Mm -hmm. change you as a person. It should just make things better. Better. without all these crazy negative side effects yes, and if yes. it's something that grows from the earth that can do that what the hell are we doing right right <laughs> he's like i've had clients tell me like oh you seem so happy today you're so much more personable he goes to these little community events that's that he a, never went that's to so great so it's awesome i like to these subtleties yeah my 64 year old father yeah was open enough to try a microdose that's beautiful and said that it has changed his life he yeah. started being more active he changed great. his diet after a month Right? What can this do for people that suffer from anxiety and depression um, or lack of it's meaning limitless. in their life? Yeah, it's so limitless. I'm a huge believer in, in psychedelics, the power to heal um, on a multitude of levels. And yeah. I'm just stoked for where the future of this is going to go. I yeah. definitely feel like I'll be involved in that space in some way. Whether you I'm will be. We're going to watch for you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, w- I will definitely be in that space where... I hope to have a capsule and a medicine that is going to bring this to the masses and hopefully get people off Adderall or just maybe make them a little bit happier in their life. You know, I'm working on a social anxiety one now. So it's like our our microdose formula is more daily production. Yeah, yeah. work. um, Work, help you focus, improve your mood, and uh, improve your memory, which is why we have the other adaptogens in there. Lion's mane, you know, great for focus and memory. Um, so is cordyceps, you know, lines or turkey tail, big thing with your, uh, improving your immune system right now. And then we have another capsule we're working on right now that has things like Rosia Rodella mm, and ashwagandha that are going to be good to um, stabilize serotonin levels that yeah. are going to be good to lower cortisol. So right. it'll be a good anti or it'd be it'll a good be social, uh, social yeah. lubricant. Yeah, that's right? great. So a little increase in the psilocybin yeah. more than a microdose for production so i have like a 200 milligrams yeah a little more calm so you'll get the giggles yeah things yeah. will look a little brighter more, more serotonergic yeah 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 so that is my passion is I what can that. i bring to the masses that can help people in their daily life either mm-hmm. disassociate themselves with pharmaceutical drugs that would take it so long or i just want to be happier <sighs> right. throughout the day i want to be able to go in public and not feel like i have to get fucked up and drunk just to right socialize. and that and that's the biggest thing like mm-hmm. I, I luckily don't love that like when I don't feel my baseline I don't feel like I'm socializing my best so I'm very fortunate in that way I don't feel the need to drink and do anything to like have a better social experience but I think that is going to become one of our one of the biggest issues of our time is this social anxiety thing the pandemic propelled it but I think it was coming no matter what given everyone's social media usage like it's just isolation and even when it's like self-inflicted isolation we kind of romanticize i just love being alone all day and not seeing humans like we make jokes so unhealthy it's so bad for us like we're not meant to do that and so i think this this formula you're working on is really cool and it's yeah i'm excited i mean we're we're just learning that you know now johns hopkins is doing a lot of great work um ucla uh there's a right here in ucsd yeah i think i saw that too um Salt? No, it's an acronym for a lab they have here. Not salt. Mm. Something like that. You're now getting legitimate science yeah. that's backing yeah. a lot of these, what we're used to think as pseudo claims. Mm-hmm. 
are now, no, this shit ain't just some spiritual woo-woo from a trip I took. This is real. And I can show you on paper what the effects of this are. Um, You know, it's not just anecdote anymore. So it's cool that we're in this this crossing period where we're starting to legitimize the science of what people that have gone through these experiences have never been able to really put pen to paper and explain. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, sadly, I pharma is not probably going away. You're up against the big guys. Um, anyone in this field is. But I also think all you have to do as a person is to f- feel what it feels like to feel better. And then you won't question things like this. Yeah. You know? And that's the big thing. People that are anti this or tell me it's all bullshit and they're the ones who have never done it. They're I, the ones yeah. who have never had a true, oh, I took mushrooms before at this party. I'm like, okay, I, you could stop there. I already yeah. know that it wasn't the right environment. Well, yeah, that's like but, literally not. Uh, yeah. How about I be a trip sitter for you? You come take four grams. I'll watch yeah. over you. I'll put some music on, get yeah. a journal out, and yeah. we'll see how you're crying. Like, like let me know how it Working on your trauma yeah. by the end of it. Completely different situation. <laughs> for sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. I think the people that are anti it <clears throat> truly just haven't experienced it. And again, and yeah. I've had friends that have... And they don't get the change I do out of it, but they can I also understand. Think it's yeah, right. Yeah. They it's a like, lot of them go into it automatically with this mindset that it's not going to work in the first place. And it's how badly I think you want to heal. I saw this quote the other day, and it was like, "People that take pharmaceuticals on a daily basis, but then they become researchers when it comes to something from the earth." Like, it's so true. Yeah, um, we're, just, peep, we're in a weird environment where you get told something and just because they're an institution or something. Or like FDA regulated. Yeah, it it's like, that doesn't mean anything to me anymore. No, no, what a lot of people don't realize is I think on average about 1,100 FDA approved drugs are taken off the market every year. 1,100. Right? I mean, th- there's a yeah. fantastic show on Hulu right now called uh, Dope Sick oh, yeah, that talks I've about the opioid, opioid epidemic yeah. in Purdue Pharma and how yeah. they knowingly lied about yeah. it not being addictive. I love these new shows they, coming out. Yeah, the FDA approved this drug, put a label on it, calling it less addictive than any other level two, not level two, what, whatever categorization it is, the type of addiction level two. They put a label on um, OxyContin saying that this is less addictive and allowed them to market it as a less than 1% addiction rate. They never once did a trial on it. They never once read a study on it. They took the word of the pharmaceutical company and stamped the FDA approval label on it. Crazy. So when people say something's FDA approved, I'm like, you have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. You fit into the narrative of, oh, it's the FDA. We're told they know what they're doing, so let's just believe they know what they're doing. We want to believe in leaders. It's something like 39 people handle 35,000 drug it's, and pharmaceutical companies and, how and all many approvals. How people Get know the fuck out of here. all that chemistry? There's None. no right. way. Yeah, so, there's no way. Yeah, the yeah. FDA approved pharma, and don't get me wrong, their place in medicine is historic. Yes. What, what we've been able to do with medicine is... It's incredible. Right. And I'm not anti-med... Like, I, there are things that save your life, for sure. Yeah. Like, there Listen, are I shattered my ankle three years yeah. ago, and it was the absolute worst thing I've ever gone to. Yeah. And I was able to be on Oxy. Yeah. And it was still insanely painful. Yeah. I can't imagine going Can you through imagine? that without... Exactly. exactly. 
I'm having not something like OxyContin. Abs- right. Absolutely. So, it's more of just when there are things that can be done to treat something versus heal something. Like I'm going to go the thing, for is the heal. Pharmaceuticals aren't healing anything. No, They're treating it's symptomatic. A symptom. mm-hmm. But, it, you know, I could tell you that if you focus on your trauma, your sleep, and your nutri- your nutrition and your community, yeah. you could probably cure about it's 98% of the shit that's it's out there. It's so simple. Yeah. And I think we make life so hard when really that is the foundation of everything. Like there are limitations obviously to that, but it's true. It's so simple when you just focus on those things. Yep. Where can people find you? And I don't know if you want to share like what your plans are for your supplements, but you can do that as well. Or if you're waiting till you get things finalized. Yeah. Well, I mean, the only place you can find me is I have an Instagram. I don't have anything else. Austin underscore not East. I Um, always get confused by that. And that, yeah, last name's West. So a little (laughs) play I'm always like, Austin not East. No, that's not Um, But yeah, I mean, in the very, very near future, we will be having some sort of retail channel for the microdose supplement. We've been putting a lot of work into it for over the last year and a half, perfecting our grow, working with different fungi and species and pairing it with different adaptogen mushrooms. And that's how we got the formula we had. We had a lot of friends and family constantly be willing to test it out for us and see if they like it. And now I got the likes of my 64-year-old father and 76-year-old uncle taking it to battle their daily depression. So... It's uh, really exciting shit. Um, our brand is called Entheos Wellness. So an entheogen is a plant medicine, essentially. So a mm. fungi, ayahuasca, something like that. And then entheos is the Greek root word word of entheogen, oh, wow. which means to live in ecstasy, wrapped, or you know, be possessed by a god, essentially. Which awesome. is what these things, that's how you feel when you're on yeah. psychedelics. It's Shoot. crazy. Yeah. So Amazing. we have the Instagram, but we don't have any content on there. But those it's are the coming. It's Everyone coming. Everyone watch out for it. Oh my God, I'm so excited. Thank you for changing the world of mental health. And thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. Yay.